Hi, this is Elaine. We've hosted guest experts on impactparents.com every week since 2011. And since 2017, they've been podcast style interviews. Now we're dipping into those archives to share these fascinating conversations with leading world experts on the Parenting with Impact podcast. Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Elaine and Diane are certified coaches with personal experience raising children with challenges such as ADHD, anxiety, and more, and extensive experience in guiding parents to raise their complex kids with confidence and calm. On the podcast, Elaine and Diane interview experts, bringing you cutting-edge information about your child's challenges, teach you real-life strategies to create lasting change, and demonstrate how coaching can guide you to parent your complex kids one conversation at a time. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Welcome, everybody. It's Elaine Taylor-Klaus with Impact ADHD, your online resource for parents of complex kids. And I'm excited to welcome today a friend and colleague, Tamara Rossier from Michigan. Tamara, welcome, and thanks for being here with us. Thanks, Elaine. Thanks for having me today. I'm really glad you're here. Tamara is, she's a, a fascinating person figure in the ADHD world because she comes out of the world of learning, leadership and learning. So her PhD is in leadership and learning. She's an expert in pedagogy. And so she's been a college administrator, a professor, a teacher, a high school teacher, a faculty faculty developer. And as I've known her, she's the co-founder of Acorn Leadership, um, a leadership-based organization dealing with cultivating effective leaders. And she coaches individuals as they enhance interpersonal effectiveness, social intelligence, bridging performance gaps. She's also the founder of the ADHD Center of West Michigan. And in that capacity, she leads a team of professionals that are providing really outstanding resources for individuals and their families after they receive a diagnosis of ADHD. So they're looking at the questions of now what, behavioral answers for managing ADHD for adults and students and, and even doing some student group work. And in addition to that, just because there's nothing else going on in the world, she's also the president <laughs> of the ADHD Coaches Organization, we know as the ACO. And so I'd like you all to welcome Tamara. We're going to talk today about the role of fear and anxiety in ADHD. So welcome again. Thanks for being here. And let's dive in. All right. Thanks, Elaine. So great. So fear and anxiety and ADHD. Give us a thumbnail to start us off. Well, before we get started, we have to think about the physiology of the brain. Okay. And so if, if you could just put your fingers right on your forehead, and Elaine, you're probably familiar with this, you're touching where your prefrontal cortex is. Mm-hmm. And the prefrontal cortex is this marvelous part of the brain. It's a very modern part of the brain. Um, it's quite handy. It reminds you where you placed things. It reminds you when to pay bills. It reminds you where your car is parked. And oh, by the way, stop and pick up milk on the way home. Mm-hmm. It, it acts as this calm, cool butler. I love the butler. problem with that. <laughs> yeah. Way better than orchestra but, conductor. I love that. <laughs> well, yes. And, and you can kind of hear it. Elaine, it's time to do this. I mean, yes. it's just, you know, very calm. And as it just directs your life. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have ADHD, you have the luxury of not even 
ever knowing you ever had a butler because he's just always there quietly reassuring you. Hmm. And if you have ADHD, you probably thought, huh, so that's how it's supposed to work. (laughs) Because those of us with ADHD, we don't have that calm butler because our prefrontal cortex is compromised. It's either compromised structurally or chemically, it's compromised somehow. Right. And so what we do instead is we get different parts of our brain through the law of neuroplasticity. We're brilliant with ADHD. We try to rewire our brain. Mm -hmm. And our rewiring isn't always fantastic, but it works enough. Mm -hmm. And so those of us with ADHD, we don't have that calm, lovely butler talking to us. We have the equivalent of a screaming neighbor. We can't quite always hear him, but we know he's constantly screaming at us taking off his shoe, shaking it at us, throwing it at us. (laughs) In other words, what we do is we take our, what should be happening in our prefrontal cortex, and we move it back to the emotional centers of our brain. Right. And parents, what I want you to hear right now is if you've noticed your kids are highly emotional, yes, they are. Yes, And they're doing that to try to rewrite their brain. Well, that, I mean, oh. I'm cracking up because I just love the imagery here of the calm, cool butler and then the screaming neighbor like shaking his fist at you crazy kids, right? And we parents exactly. shaking our fists at you crazy kids and don't even realize that we're doing it, right? So it's great image. That, that's exactly it. Yeah. But, well, the neurotypical parent especially right. sort of becomes that voice in the child's head. So what happens is if you could imagine this, I'm switching metaphors now. It's kind of like ADHD folks have a light switch with emotions on, off, on, off um, in our emotional centers, whereas neurotypical people, those people without ADHD, have more of a dimmer switch. Hmm. And so what we do is in order to motivate ourselves, those of us with ADHD turn on our switch. (laughs) Now, whatever emotion it is, it could be happy, joy, anger you know, frustration, but we turn on the switch. We don't have the dimmer. Right. Because we need that trigger. Um, We need that trigger to get us motivated. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, your kids probably using some bad emotional triggers to get them to do their work. Mm -hmm. And when I work with my clients, uh, the first meeting is always with the parents, with the child. And I say, well, let me run through some bad habits that you might be using. I start with anxiety. And I say, can you give me an example when you used anxiety? Most of my students can give me an example of when they have used anxiety to motivate themselves. And that's, mm-hmm. that's the thing I want to underline, right? They use it to motivate themselves, not necessarily because they have an anxiety issue. They've learned if I can trigger my brain, I will get more done. So, so you're using the term motivation, worry. and I want to offer and see if yeah. it's similar. Is it a variation of activation? It's like what they do to get themselves going? Yes. So it could I, be motivation. It I'm could offering, be a physical movement. Yeah. Or is it both? Uh, yes. Here I'm working with more of the cognitive mm-hmm. um, approach, and so I, it is a way to motivate ourselves. No, it's okay. unconsciously motivated. So we don't go around saying, hey, I think I'm going to stir up some anxiety in my soul today. What can I worry about? That's, that's <laughs> well, not some what of us might. <laughs> right. But that's another right. conversation. Yeah. So I was working with a very clever young man. He walks, you know, those boys who are around six, seven, three, they kind of walk like old men, old baseball players. 
and he had anxiety over everything. And yeah. he had so much anxiety. So, you know, we were talking and I learned that he was very, very good at strategy. I said, wow, you're great at strategy. He goes, yep. You know, he even spoke like an old man. Mm-hmm. I, and so eventually during the conversation, I said, well, what would happen if you replace strategy with anxiety? And he's like, huh. it was so cute. He's like, hold on a second. Hold on. Let me process that. And I right. said, yeah, I he did. He processed <laughs> just like a little old man. And then he said, wait a minute. So instead of like getting worried and, and he kind of went through a scenario, he goes, I would just like replace that with what I'm going to do about it. Mm. Like, well, that's the possibility. That kid, I don't see him any longer. I only saw him for a few times. He, he had been in counseling for years yeah. for anxiety. Mm-hmm. We were treating anxiety. He was trying to motivate himself. It's all he knew. Mm-hmm. And once he could replace it with something else that he was already good at, he didn't need his anxiety. I have to tell you, so, Tamara, I, that was my experience. Yeah is that I was treated for anxiety for years and years and years. And when I was finally diagnosed with ADHD and started getting treatment for ADHD, it was like, oh, the anxiety, it didn't eliminate, you know, I'm a human, but I, I right. stopped needing it or using it or relo- whatever it needing was. Needing it. I no exactly. longer struggled with the anxiety because I had other mechanisms for management. Elaine, that's exactly it. Mm-hmm. And so what I really want parents to know here is that your child is unconsciously trying to use anxiety because it's the only tool he or she has. Mm-hmm. And so and the unconscious of, is a huge piece of it. They're not doing this on purpose. They're not creating oh, no. outbursts or meltdowns or whatever on purpose. They're not freaking out to do this. Right. But there is some mechanism that they're using that to get themselves to get yeah. anything done. Yeah. Wow. And really think of how genius it is. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you don't have that calm butler. And so I know if I dig down deeply enough and stir up some anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so with my ADHD clients, I don't see the pure form of ADHD or of anxiety that we may see in an anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. The anxiety serves a purpose when you're uh, many times when you're um, using it for ADHD purposes. Mm-hmm. And so I want parents to get that that their kid's not trying to be a little jerk, Mm -hmm. but their kid is really trying to get their brain to do something. Mm -hmm. So you see a lot of test anxiety. You'll see meltdowns. You'll see all kinds of behavior out of this, how do I concoct anxiety so that I can go on? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, when we teach about this, we often talk about it in terms of amygdala hijack. Right. Yeah. You're sort of, you're letting the amygdala, a different part of your brain that's not the frontal lobe, sort of take over and compel you to action or movement or motivation or whatever it is. Yeah. Now, in this case, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, go ahead. I'm using the emotional centers. Mm -hmm. Um, Love it. What happens is the amygdala, that little almond shape, you know, part of your brain, that gets a little twitchy when you have ADHD. And so if that twitch is just right, it does send signals immediately to your motivational uh, and emotional centers. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's why people dig deep for how do I get anxiety? Mm-hmm. Now, I, I don't want hear people to hear that anxiety is a choice. It's not a cognitive choice. It's the best tool some kids have got. And, and that's so what the goal using. of the work that you do and that we do and that all of us, the, the work of ADHD management is actually to recognize that and to replace that trigger that's actually not good for your body long term with exactly. more conscious mechanisms for management. That's exactly it. Yeah. Right. 
So if you don't mind, I'd love to talk about fear now. Go. Um, in You're the on. fear place. So fear is a lot like anxiety. But deep down in the crevices of our brain, we have the, you know, what if monster. And the what if monster feeds and like, well, you know, this could happen. This could happen. This could happen. And what I see in my clients, especially um, children and students, is I start to see they build sophisticated what if models. And they're very sophisticated, but they're all based on the fear. And something I explain to parents is if we can just slow down and just try to look, what is the fear here? Uh, the fear usually comes from um, an un- unmet need mm-hmm. or anxiety that a need will go unmet. For example. So if parents, yeah, so if parents can kind of slow down and listen and think, what's happening right now? Mm-hmm. And so uh, we have five basic needs as human beings. Uh, survival. We have a need for autonomy or power, uh, love or sense of belonging, freedom, and fun. And if you can trace them back to what is, what is he or she afraid of? What is this, what's happening in this child? A lot of times I just worked with um, a high schooler uh, last night who he's afraid of having his autonomy wrecked. Mm-hmm. And so his parents are putting all these rules on him and he's fighting harder and harder and harder. Yeah, And he's fighting because he's afraid his basic need is going to go unmet. And when we turn, we're able to turn that around and say, you know, it seems to me you're, you're afraid of losing, you know, your self-governance or your autonomy. And once I explained what autonomy was, he's right. like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> and so then he started to relax. Like, well, what if I said we could figure out how to get that need met? But see, your parents have needs too. So how do we figure out how to meet their needs also? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and in this case, it was a safety issue. So how do we make sure you're safe, their personal need for you, and you have a sense of autonomy? Mm-hmm. How do we both get these needs met? But you see, he was acting out, and it's from those emotional centers that were getting very twitchy. And it was twitchy out of a sense of fear. Mm-hmm. So there's this underlying fear that is being used to fulfill other needs. And when parents can sort of pull back and get curious about what's going on with their kid and what might be motivating the behavior, then they can begin to approach it differently. Elaine, you just used the word I love, curious. Mm -hmm. When we can just stay in place, uh, my husband and I call it sticky parenting. It's when our kids are freaking out and we want to run, but we... Get cured. Our feet are stuck in place. Yeah. Right. So we're sticky. We're just sitting there waiting and we just become curious. So I'm going to, I'm going to stop us here because we only have a few minutes left. I want to come back to curiosity as we wrap up, but I just want to, to let people find out more about you or, or, or how to find you if they want to learn more. Our guest today is Tamara Rosier and she is with the ADHD Center of West Michigan and also the national president of the ADHD Coach Association. And you can find out more about her at miadhd.com. Those of you in Michigan will know that's MI stands for Michigan. It's miadhd.com. Anything else you would add, Tamara? Is that the correct address? That's the correct address. Awesome. So let's come back to sort of wrapping up. We have a few minutes left to sort of see how curiosity or, the, or this sort of sticky parenting ties into this role of fear and anxiety 
in managing ADD and see how you want to sort of wrap this up for people to, as a takeaway. Yeah. So let's just go back very quickly. Your child's brain is emotional mm-hmm. and it's like a light switch. Once the switch gets flipped, it's emotional and it's either usually something it has to do with anxiety or fear. And usually you can see fear in a person's face. Their eyes start to move a little bit more rapidly. Mm-hmm. And so when you do that, if you can just take a breath yourself as a parent, even if you have ADHD, take a breath and think, what question can I ask right now? And so sometimes you might reply in a very low voice, are you concerned that you're going to lose your freedom? And, you know, your ADHD child doesn't know the script. And so he might just continue yelling and just staying very calm and say, are you concerned you're going to lose your freedom? And using, and I know you teach the broken record technique in a very calm voice asking, what are you concerned about? That's one of the ways to kind of break through the, you refer to it as an amygdala hijack. Mm-hmm. Uh, the amygdala hijack is probably already happening if your emotional centers are twitching. Mm-hmm. So if, and twitching is not, you know, the right term, but the it, technical term, but we get the it. idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but to kind of start to get at the deeper idea of what is it that you're afraid of losing here? And what I love about this is that sometimes we forget that our kids may be afraid of failing. They may be afraid of succeeding because that may set up expectations that they'll continue and they're afraid that they can't. Uh, There's a lot of things that they could be afraid of that we interpret as disrespectful, not caring, not trying, right? All of these other things that we look and we sort of evaluate their behaviors based on on our interpretation instead of going from the other side and saying, wow, what thoughts and feelings must be motivating this behavior? Yeah. Now, uh, one of the rules is for all humans, right, is we stay out of other people's heads. Mm. So as parents, we don't try to read. We always ask, Mm -hmm. right? We don't try to say, oh, well, that's your fear of failure right there. We always want to give our our children a chance to speak into what they're actually thinking. Yeah. And so, and as you said, like, and you may offer something like, are you concerned you're going to lose your freedom? But that gives them the opportunity to say, no, it's not that, it's this. So we don't, we don't know for them, but we offer them because some of them will have a hard time putting their own words to it. Yeah. And here's what happens from my experience. A lot of times when you remain calm and you say, are you afraid of, no matter what you, how you finish that sentence, if you say it with a tender enough voice, the child usually responds, they start to break. They start mm-hmm. to understand that what they're doing, they don't want to behave this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, one young man last week, he just started crying in front of his parents. He's 17 years old saying, I am so sorry I was screaming at you. I am so afraid of life right now. Yeah. Yeah. What a profound. And, and now, and the mom called me and she said, had I yelled at him and grounded him, he was caught smoking pot in his downstairs bathroom. Had I done all the terrible things we had concocted, that it would have been a different conversation. Mm-hmm. But instead, we had a breakthrough in our house last night. That's beautiful. So we need to wrap this up because we're, we're definitely a little over time, but I want to thank you for this conversation because this connection between fear and anxiety and ADHD, you know, we often see ADHD and anxiety together, but to understand that, that it's actually sort of 
it's almost like a symbiotic relationship with each other. And it really is. And what you're suggesting here is, is to understand that and recognize that so that we can step out of it and teach our kids different mechanisms and, and ways to manage other than using that anxiety and the underlying fear as a management tool for ADHD. So any sort of final word of wisdom as we close off? Any final I aha? think that's it. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. Awesome. Thanks for being here, Tamara. I so appreciate it. Guest Thank you, been, I really appreciate that. It's a pleasure. Our guest has been Tamara Rossier, who's with the ADHD Center of West Michigan and the president of the ADHD Coach Organization. And it's been a pleasure talking to you. For those of you who are here listening, thanks for your time, your attention, your commitment to yourselves and to your families. You can find more resources about Tamara as well as so many other parenting resources on impactadhd.com. And we will talk to you at the next call. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Behavior therapy training for parents is actually recommended as a first-line treatment for complex kids. For information about Sanity School, our training program for parents or teachers, which has helped thousands of families around the globe, visit impactparents.com slash sanity school. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.